Well, warm greetings to you, family of God. What a great truth to stew in this morning, that we are beloved sons and daughters of God. As we were singing that second song, um, my wife, uh, she redesigned our daughter's rooms recently, and she took so much delight in that, and my kids were so overjoyed by it. It was really a sweet a sweet thing in our family. And I just thought of the Father, our Heavenly Father, designing a room for us in heaven. It's a good thing to stew in, and I'm glad uh, to gather together to worship Jesus with you. We're going to be in Romans 2, if you want to turn there, Romans 2. Uh, we're in a series through the, the whole book of Romans, and we are marching chapter by chapter um, and I have forgotten, before we get into this wonderful series, our kids, uh, if you are, uh, need to go to kids' ministry, you see the people in the yellow shirts back there, looks like everyone knows where they're going, thank you, thank you for that. Um, so, back to Romans, we're in a series on Romans, and we're going through it, uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and I'm really thrilled and hopeful and expectant about what God is doing in our church as we dig in to the book of Romans. It's important as we look to this important, significant book, this great book, that we understand that this was once a great letter to a particular congregation. Sometimes we can come to the Bible and rip it from its context, but we need to recognize that this is a letter written to a, a specific church, and that church is in the city of Rome, and they are going through unique challenges, disappointments, frustrations, they have problems, and Paul is seeking to address some of these things. And one of the big ones that was happening in Rome was the disunity and angst that was emerging between Jew and Gentile Christians. And this is something we see all over the New Testament, but it's particularly pointed in Romans because what had happened is years before this letter was written, the political leaders in Rome deported the Jewish Christians from the city. And so the Gentile Christians were, were doing their thing, and they started doing things that maybe weren't the way they used to do it. And as the Jewish Christians came back to their home church, they're asking questions. Wait, when did we change that? What, why are you singing that song that way? What's going on? This church looks different. And Paul is seeking to address some of these things in this letter. And what he's doing, starting in Romans 2, and you'll see this throughout the book, is he's anticipating and addressing attitudes that he thinks are emerging in his hearers. He's answering questions that he thinks his listeners are asking. And we see this in Romans 2. And we're going to read Romans 2, 1 to 11, but just a little bit about kind of orienting us to this passage before we dig in. In chapter 1, Paul starts a section in verse 18 on the wrath of God. The wrath of God is being revealed against all unrighteousness, all ungodliness. And as he gets to the end of that section, he realized that there's something stirring up and there's something, there's an attitude that could be bubbling up in the Jewish Christians. And that is the attitude of self-righteousness. That is the attitude that says, yes, wrath of God on all those sinners over there, but does not look inward. And Paul is addressing this 
in Romans 2, verses 1 to 11. And so let's read what he has to say for us this morning. And after I read the passage, I will say, this is God's word, and you can respond, thanks be to God. And this is a way that we confirm together as a church family that God has spoken. He has not left his people in silence. Romans 2, verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey in righteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. This is God's word. Pray with me. God, we pause as we sit before your word. And we ask that you would fill this space with your power, with your wisdom. Jesus, you are Lord over our church. And we we ask and invite your dominion, your authority, and your rule to be felt as we hear from you. Spirit, would you open our ears? Would you tenderize us with the truth of God's word? We need you, God, to move. We need you to give us courage and honesty and faith. Would we be a people that are eager to hear from you that we could run to Jesus, that we could find hope and salvation in Jesus and learn what it looks like to live as a family on mission in the city of Richardson. Help us, God. In the name of Jesus, amen. So as I was thinking through this passage and digging into this passage and thinking how we were going to think about it this morning, I kept coming back to the art of glass blowing. Have you ever seen glass blowers, these artists? It's really fascinating and interesting to watch them work. Oftentimes they work with partners or in a team, and there's a lot of techniques and complexity, but it's really cool to watch because they turn something really just normal, into something beautiful. And it all starts with this furnace. There's actually a number of furnaces that these artists use to, uh, to melt down the glass and then shape it and then melt it down again, add some color and shape it and give it texture. But there's a main furnace where it all starts. It's called the hot pot. Um, it's really hot. It's about 2,000 degrees. And there is molten, melted glass in the furnace. 
And the artist takes this iron pipe and sticks it in the furnace to try and get a, a, a glob of this molten glass. And they pull it out of this furnace and cool it off a little bit and then begin to blow into this iron pipe. They call it a, a blowpipe. And they begin to shape and mold and texture the glass to be something beautiful. This is kind of what Paul is doing in Romans 2. He's trying to put us in the furnace that we would be melted down, that we would be softened by God's word, that we would be softened so that God could shape and mold us and turn us into something beautiful, turn us into something that he can use to display his glory and grace. Because Paul understands that soft hearts please God. Paul knows that what God desires from his people is a soft heart, a tender heart, a heart that responds to God's word promptly, quickly, a heart that is broken over its sin, a heart that is burdened to see Christ proclaimed and declared in the world. Soft hearts please God. And Paul is going to tell us how to, he's going to tenderize us through this passage. That's what he's doing. He's building an argument to try and tenderize us. Oftentimes when we look at the book of Romans, we go to the, the chapters where the gospel truths are. And sometimes we need to do that. Sometimes we need Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we need those truths right at the ready. But what God is inviting us as a church into is to reckon with Romans 1, 2, and 3. Because these chapters tenderize us. These chapters melt our hearts. These chapters are trying to soften us so that when we get to the gospel, we are tender to God's voice. We are longing and yearning to hear more of God's kindness. And so Paul goes after this idea of soft hearts. And in verse 1 and 2, he gives us a warning. And the warning is this, don't miss your sin. You want to have a soft heart, don't miss your sin. Because there is a slow tug on God's people to miss your sin. To be an expert in everyone else's sin but your own. And what Paul is inviting us into is to look in the spiritual mirror. To recognize that we are no better than our neighbor. That we are no better than our brother or sister sitting over on the other side of the church. And then he gives us a pathology of missing our sin. How does that happen? It's it's. It's crazy because we come to faith very aware of our sin, but then we drift. We lose sight of it. We, we forget about the mirror, and we become experts in everyone else's sin but our own. And what Paul helps us understand is we lose sight of our sin because we lose sight of the gospel. We presume on God's kindness. We lose sight of the riches of his kindness and patience towards me, towards you, and towards the world. And then he closes with this principle on the impartiality of God's judgment. And so the warning, don't miss your sin. 
Paul starts in chapter 2, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, whoever you are, O man, O woman, whoever you are, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. What was indirect at the end of chapter 1, Paul is making very direct at the beginning of chapter 2. He wants us to understand that all have to respond to the righteous judgment of God. All are under God's judgment and must reckon with that reality. In in chapter 1, Paul starts this section on the wrath of God. The wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness, all unrighteousness. And he uses an example of sexual brokenness. And he talks about that because it was prevailing in Paul's culture, but also our culture. But as he closes the chapter, he begins to broaden the scope. And he gives us this picture that God's wrath is over all ungodliness, all unrighteousness, over envy, over maliciousness, over gossips, over haughty, boastful, all of these things. He's trying to help us understand that all of us must reckon with God's judgment. And so what was indirect in chapter 1 is being very specific in chapter 2. Paul is addressing an attitude that he is all too familiar with. In his own heart, he's been there. He's been the one judging. He's been the one in self-righteousness. But he knows that self-righteousness creeps and sneaks into the church and breathes and poisons the waters of God's people. That judgmentalism is among us. Paul knows that this common sin prevails among God's people, and he wants to root it out. He wants to show us that unless we look in the mirror at our sin, we're going to miss this. Unless we allow Romans 2 and 3 to to work us over, to challenge us and grip us, we're going to miss the opportunity to really understand the greatness of God's grace. And that's the reality. That until we understand God's wrath and judgment, we will never fully understand the riches of his kindness and grace. The attitude is becoming an expert in everyone's sin but our own. It's a warning. And Paul is confronting it. He says, you have no excuse. You have no excuse. You're not better. Look in the mirror. It doesn't matter who you are. Don't miss your sin. It doesn't matter if you have the best spiritual pedigree here. If you come from great spiritual heritage, don't miss your sin. It doesn't matter if you know your Bible backwards and forwards and you could run circles around everyone in this church. Don't miss your sin. It doesn't matter if, if you're, you're maybe a new Christian and everyone in your extended family is just lost and they're in the dark and you get together and they're drinking and they're mean and they're brutal and they talk about people the wrong way. Don't miss your sin. There's a warning here because Paul is trying to soften us. He's trying to tenderize us. He's trying to help us understand that we must reckon with the judgment of God. We must reckon with this reality. We must learn. 
When I talk to people outside of Mosaic, there's two things I, I say. The first thing is we love Richardson. We're, on Richardson we're, we're in Richardson on purpose. And a lot of people in our congregation are from Richardson. We love that about our church. It's unique about our church. The other thing is that we have kids, like a lot of kids. We got kids crawling out of the walls. We have like 40-something babies born uh, this last year. It's crazy. It's a blessing and a gift from God. But I know because that's true, I know many of you are in the trenches with little ones. And if parenting is anything, it's an opportunity to look in the spiritual mirror, is it not? Holy smokes. It's an opportunity to reckon with our sin. I can remember there was a time when I was, I think I was preparing to preach back when we were in Iowa. We were working with one of our daughters on patience. And she was in the bath and she was driving me nuts. And I grabbed her and I said, be patient. And the Lord was like, boy, I've been so patient with you. You can be patient with your daughter. Parenting is a great opportunity to look in the spiritual mirror. And the temptation is to, to, to tuck that away or to rationalize it or minimize it because it's hard to look in the spiritual mirror, is it not? But what Paul is saying, hey, actually, this is an opportunity for you to see what's really there so that you can embrace and accept and enjoy and cherish the mercies of God. Now, you might not have kids. You might not be married but all of us are trying to have spiritual babies, right? We're all trying to share the gospel. We're all trying to serve the city. And, I mean, that stirs up in us, idolatry, that stirs up in us selfishness and pride. Does it not? We, were, uh, we had our last teaching at Passage, and Stephen Clardy was teaching on the discipline of service. And one of the things he said is, he says, I'll be honest, he's like, I love to serve people, but most of the time, all my service opportunities are an interruption to my schedule. They interrupt my flow. I got my, my things going on during the day, and service is interrupting that. How do you respond to those interruptions? Do you clutch comfort, or do you joyfully move towards sacrifice? Life, the lifestyle of Jesus, parenting, sharing the gospel, serving the city is an opportunity for us to look in the spiritual mirror. And that's an opportunity to embrace the gospel. And that's, that's what we're going to get to in Romans. We're going to get to the beauties and wonders of the love of God. And that's what we need to recognize as we realize this warning that Paul gives us. Don't miss your sin. But when you see it, remember the gospel. Remember the love of God in the person of Jesus. And this has fruit. Looking in the spiritual mirror has fruit. It has fruit for the unity of the church, and it has fruit for us on mission. When you think about the soft heart, the soft heart responds differently to the struggling brother or sister in the church. The soft heart responds to the struggling brother or sister with compassion, with mercy. The hard heart says, man, will you just get over this thing? Like, we've had this conversation 12 times. 
The soft heart on mission looks different than the hard heart. The soft heart on mission is moved with compassion, is hungry to see God break into a person's life. And it's a beautiful way that God uses us. He uses soft hearts to accomplish his purposes in the world, in the unity of the church and the mission of the church. Don't miss your sin. But if you're like me, you realize that that's, that's easier said than done, right? It's so easy to drift from seeing your sin and remembering your sin. There's this tug on all of us towards becoming an expert in everyone else's sin but our own. And that is the pathology of sin. It is selfishness. It is pride. It is trying to clutch trying to clutch divinity, trying to become gods of our own worlds. And so Paul helps us understand what is, like, you want to avoid that drift. You want to redirect your heart. You want to be a person that is aware of your sin. Remember the kindness of God. Remember the riches of his kindness and patience. Because what he says in this passage of the Christian, uh, the Christian that judges, even when they are sinners, he says this in verse 4. He gives us the pathology of missing your sin. He asks the, the person, the Christian who judges, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Not knowing that, the, that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The reason Christians miss their sin is because they presume on God's kindness. They presume on God's patience. And the word here cuts harder than, than we see in the English the word here literally means to look down upon, to despise. What Paul is saying is when you forget to see your sin before you see the sin of others, when you forget to look in the spiritual mirror, you're actually looking down upon the gospel because you've forgotten the gospel for yourself. You've forgotten the realities and the weight of your own sin and the weight of God's grace, his kindness his forbearance, his patience. I, I've been so challenged by this passage. As I've dug in and just like tried to live my life, I've been, I've been challenged by this passage. And honestly, I, there's a part of me that's like, I can't even preach this to align with the kind of burden I have for us. This, this passage has the opportunity to shape us, to challenge us, to help us. I know you all. I know you. I know you love God. I know you want to serve him. I know you want to glorify him. This passage is wanting to help us do that. This passage is trying to tenderize us and help us understand. You want to make a difference in the world? Don't miss your sin. You want to make a difference in your family? 
You want to make a difference in the church? Recognize the riches of God's kindness for you. His patience with you. And the implication that we see in this section is that instead of looking down upon the gospel, instead of missing, the sin, missing our sin, instead of becoming an expert in everyone else's sin but our own and looking down upon the gospel, what Paul is saying is you need to lift up the gospel. You need, you need to recognize that God's rich kindness is for you. That God's rich patience is for you and for our, our world, for our city, for our neighbors. We want to begin to see the greatness of his glorious grace, the riches of his kindness, that he would welcome us into the family. It's unbelievable that he would show us kindness by offering his own son. When we really look in the mirror and recognize how broken and how distorted our hearts are, when we reflect on what are we thinking when someone interrupts us for a service opportunity. And in this, we can begin to lift up God's kindness and patience. I can remember, some of you know my story, but my story is, is dark, it's bad. The, the thing went bad and God redirected it and saved me. I was filled with addiction, with anger, I was so angry at the world, and I had no idea why. And that just drove me further and further into my addiction. I was a big failure. My life was a flop. But Jesus caught me. God showed me great kindness, and God was very patient with me. And I'll never forget a conversation I had with one of my brothers uh, we were talking about someone that we cared and loved about who was making foolish decisions. And I was on the phone with my brother, and I was, like, I was like, I don't get it. Like, what is he thinking? What is he thinking? I have no idea. Like, like what is going on? And my brother, very innocently, he was actually, he wanted to know what my answer was. He says, well, what were you thinking? I wasn't. I was lost. I was blind. And I was chasing after things that I thought were going to fill the big hole in my heart, and they didn't. They made the hole bigger. And what Paul is trying to help us understand is don't forget who you were. Don't forget where you came from. And you might be sitting there thinking, hey, I always grew up knowing about Jesus. I grew up in a family that shared the gospel, and I've always known Jesus. Don't forget where you would be if God hadn't moved, if God hadn't put you in that family. We would be lost. We would be hopeless. We would be squeezing our kids, saying, be patient, come on. We would be prone to all the wrong things and searching and looking for help to fill this hole that we have. It's so easy for us to forget this, isn't it? It's so easy once we get sucked into church world and we know the lingo and we start learning about these great, wonderful truths to start thinking that we're pretty great. 
that we're better than everyone outside of the church. And what Paul is reminding us is don't forget your sin. Don't miss the opportunity to reckon with your own heart because when you do that, you're going to see the greatness of God's grace for you, but also for the world. Also for your cold-hearted neighbor that just drives you crazy and is mean to everyone else in your neighborhood, God's grace is great for that neighbor. God's grace is great for the person in our church who just continues to say things that that just rub people the wrong way and they're full of gossip and they're creating division. God's grace is greater for that person. Or maybe the person who lives on your street who's confused about sexual orientation or someone you work with who has some confusion around gender and is living a life that is misaligned with God's word. God's grace is greater for them. God is rich in kindness for them. God is rich in patience for our city and for us. Now you might be thinking, how do I, how do I stay here? Like I'm with you. I'm, I'm here. How do I stay here. And the way you stay here is you live at the foot of the cross. You spend your life at the foot of the cross because at the cross we see the weight of God's wrath and the weight of God's kindness in the same moment. And for the Christian who has attached themselves to Christ by faith, that wrath of God that is being poured out is absorbed by Christ. And we receive forgiveness, we receive uh, adoption and justification. And we see this great, wonderful kindness of God. Live at the cross. Set reminders in your calendar. Maybe, Maybe you take every month, you read through a gospel, just to keep the cross, the realities of the cross in front of you. There's a painting I like. Uh, that I have woven into my routines. It's called Man of Sorrows by Albright Durer, D-U-R-E-R. And it is a great example of God's heart, God's, the way God feels for my sin. And I just stare at it to remember where I've come from, to remember God's brokenness over my sin. But Paul, he, he goes further, and he, he gives us a principle and that is the impartiality of God's judgment. And so we're going to do a little bit of work here. So the impartiality of God's judgment is in verses 6 to 11. If you want to look at these verses. And if you look at these, this section, there, there's two verses. If you underline uh, verse 6, he will render to each one according to his work. And verse 11, for God shows no partiality. That's how we understand what Paul is doing in this passage. But let's read it. And then let's uh, make some comments about it. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first 
and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Now, I want to speak to the question that everybody's asking. Is Paul teaching here salvation by works? And I would say no. I, along with a lot of commentators, would say that is not what Paul's teaching here. And the number one reason is the context of the passage. Paul's not talking about salvation. He's talking about the judgment of God. And we always, when we're interpreting the Bible, we always want to recognize what is Paul actually arguing for in this section? Remember, he's trying to expose the judgmental moralist. He's trying to expose that self-righteous attitude that stirs up in church world. And he's saying God is going to repay people based on the life they live, based on the lifestyle that they're living, what they give their attention to. He's going to judge them based on that, not what social groups they're a part of, not what church they're affiliated with, not what heritage they have. The Jews were coming to the table thinking that they had some swagger, that they were better than the Gentile sinners. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. We are all on the same level. And he makes this point of impartiality as he repeats this phrase, the Jew first and also the Greek. He's saying, Jews, listen, listen up. But also we know he's not preaching a, a salvation by works because that would contradict a whole host of Scripture. And whenever we interpret Scripture, we want to interpret Scripture with Scripture. And two chapters later, Paul says this, By the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Ephesians 2 came to mind when I was thinking about this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What he's trying to help us see is that the soft heart is the heart that is trusting in Christ. The soft heart is the heart that is walking in repentance and faith. The soft heart is tender to God's voice and God's word. And that is going to bear fruit. That is going to demonstrate itself in a person's life. And what Paul is trying to help us understand is the impartiality of God's judgment. That he is judging the sinners and the self-righteous. He's inviting us to self-examination. This principle that he closes, it's his slam dunk. And he's saying, brothers... Jewish Christians, examine your hearts. Look at your own heart. Think about, you didn't do anything to be born as a Jew. And this is what we must reckon with this morning. Look at your heart. Don't miss your sin. God is doing something marvelous in the world and it is all based on his riches of kindness, patience, forbearance. Forbearance, he's holding back his wrath so that more could experience his love and mercy. He is rich in kindness, rich in patience for us. And Paul is saying, don't miss the opportunity 
to examine your hearts. Don't miss the opportunity to repent of being a person that is an expert in everyone else's sin except your own. Now, let me, let me just speak to a few of you here in this room because I know that after a passage like this and hearing some of the things that we've talked about, you're maybe a little nervous and skittish. Maybe you're scared. And maybe you're already playing this condemnation narrative in your head. Hear this, brother or sister. Come to Jesus. This passage is meant to drive us to Christ. That's what the invitation is, to look in the mirror at our sin and to be driven to the Lord, to find hope in Him, to rest in Him. And if you're the person who's thinking, man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this sermon, you've missed the whole point of this passage. God is inviting us to soften our hearts because God is pleased by a soft heart. And a soft heart is, is a wonderful heart to be around. You know people like this, right? You're around them and they are accepting and they are gracious. The way they talk about people is wonderful. It's so lovely. This is what God desires in our church. This is what God desires in my heart, in my family. And at Mosaic Church is a soft heart. And so may God help us as we try and get there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your power. You have not given us a spirit of fear, but a a spirit of power and of love. I pray right now that you would um, quench the thirsty soul that you would feed the hungry heart in this room. We want to be a people that glorify you. We want to be a people that love you and serve you. And I pray in the name and authority of Jesus and the power of the Spirit that you would soften us today, that you would make us like that glass in the furnace that is melted so that you can pull us out and shape us and mold us into who you want us to be. We love you and we trust you and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.